Hello, you're listening to this month's edition of In on the Act with Sarah Jackman. Today I'm joined by Oliver Radley Gardner, barrister at Falcon Chambers, and we're going to be discussing the Agriculture Act 2020. Oliver, thanks for joining me today for what I know is the second time on this podcast series. I'm delighted to have you back to talk about something entirely different this time. Last time I know we were discussing the Telecoms Act, but perhaps we can just rewind a little bit um, and you can tell me about the Agriculture Act, which was enacted a couple of years ago now, but I know have a number of provisions and things that people ought to be aware of now that, that will be coming into force. Yes, thank you, Sarah. Uh, there'll be no mention of phone masts um, from <laughs> me apart from that mention. We are essentially, I think, halfway through the implementation period now for the Agriculture Act 2020, um, with 2024 being sort of the, the end milestone or one of the end milestones for its implementation. It is quite an important and topical uh, piece of legislation. It's important and topical really for, for two reasons. One, obviously, we have had thrown into sharp relief the question of food security arising out of the situation in, in Ukraine. Um, and on the other hand, we also have obviously the aspiration of the government to hit net zero and to ensure that the UK uh, meets its environmental targets. And the Agriculture Act sits in the middle of those two conflicting aspirations. And it it seeks to essentially induce, uh, to essentially incentivize farmers to engage in activity that is not traditionally farming activity, but that is perhaps more accurately understood as being stewardship of the environment. I guess that's the why it was brought into force and, and the general sort of political context and, and I guess economic context. But tell us a little bit about the provisions in the Act and, and really what people ought to be aware of in the run up to 2024. Well. Post-Brexit, which I suppose is the third force that was at play behind this piece of legislation, we, we are we are stepping out, obviously, out of the European Union. And the specific issue there is that the European subsidies are being phased out. So that was the other, the third factor that, that, that is at play behind the Agriculture Act. Um, specifically, the most important provision economically for farmers is the introduction in in section one of a new form of domestic financial assistance to replace the European uh, subsidy payments. This financial assistance is notable because it decouples uh, entirely now the payments from agricultural activity. In other words, there is no linkage anymore between between these subsidy payments and actual farming activity as traditionally understood. Instead, the philosophy that over arches all of this is public money for public goods. And under Section 1 of the Agriculture Act, the Secretary of State may give financial assistance for or in connection with uh, a list of public goods, which are essentially looking after the environment, ensuring public access to the uh, to the countryside, the preservation of cultural and natural heritage, the prevention of climate change, animal plant wel- welfare and soil maintenance and things of that nature, with food production uh, being a factor that simply has to be taken into account by the Secretary of State. But the primary objective of this decoupling is to, to further those public goods, which are broadly understood um, environmental 
goods. So we, we see there that the, the, this new philosophy at play, that mechanism or, or those goods are promoted by the mechanism of the gradual phasing out of the familiar basic payment scheme and its replacement with what's called ELMS, the Environmental Land Management Scheme, um, which essentially breaks down into three elements. Uh, the most significant of which is the sustainable farming incentive, but there, there are two other smaller payments that go with it, all of which are essentially the, the vessel through which these public goods are to be promoted. So it is a, a sea change in how incentives are paid, and it raises, certainly for bringing it back away from policy back to law, it raises for us agricultural lawyers an interesting question, which is that, um, of course, Agricultural tenants will be subject to agricultural user restrictions and they may find that their land is subject to restrictive covenants or head leases also uh, limiting their use to agricultural use. Uh, and one is then driven to the question, to what extent are these public goods that are being incentivized by Section 1 matters that are properly so-called farming, as that is to be understood under the existing legislation and under existing tenancies? The, the reason for that, of course, is that farmers have historically um, always looked at diversification of their practices, of their businesses as a way of uh, making their businesses financially sustainable. And certainly the, the, the trendy um, things that are being discussed by people at the cutting edge of agribusiness are things like rewilding, afforestation, carbon capture, um, the use of farmland for photovoltaic, solar parks, that kind of thing. Um, all of those are, of course, uh, financially desirable and may well be environmentally desirable, although it's fair to say there's a debate about whether this is simply greenwashing or an actual contribution towards reaching net zero and, and those desirable climate goals. But there's also a legal aspect to that, which is to what extent are farmers able to do that within the confines and straitjacket of the legal framework, uh, which in the case of many tenancies is still that framed by the 1986 Agricultural Holdings Act and the things that went before it, um, which obviously never contemplated um, this kind of activity as being proper activity for farmers. The Agricultural Holdings Act has its roots in the post-Second World War um, need for this country to have its own stable, secure food production. And, and it's really against that background that, that those tendencies and those statutes are framed. And, but what we now have is this real philosophical change that food production is, of course, to be um, uh, promoted. But as, as I certainly read the Agricultural Holding Act, the, the philosophy of, of environmental protection is in the ascendancy over that and has primacy over that. So that, that, that's the interesting policy issue that is generated by that. And that leads, I suppose, to then consideration of, of, of two rather more arid uh, issues that flow from that, which is that we are also going to have, and for us landlord and tenant and agricultural lawyers, most significantly two significant changes to the Agricultural Holdings Act. The first of those is linked to the uh, issue I raised, which is to what extent are these activities capable of being carried out within the framework of older tenancies? Uh, the first thing that, that is being introduced is the ability to apply for an arbitration process to vary the terms of the tenancy 
an agricultural holdings act tenancy that is insofar as they preclude a tenant from accessing this financial assistance so in other words it is possible to initiate a statutory arbitration process to uh, loosen the the shackles of one's tenancy in order that these environmental goals can be pursued in order that the tenant can access the financial assistance that those carry with it but the question there is of course how far can that go bearing in mind that uh, agricultural holdings act protection is predicated upon the land being being used for agricultural purposes um, or rather that the, the land is agricultural in character the second aspect which is of significance is that the, the, the rules relating to the statutory succession to Agricultural Holdings Act tenancies are going to be altered. Um, specifically, the alteration is going to entail the removal of what was one component of um, a succession on retirement or death, which was the so-called commercial unit test. Essentially, that it had to be shown that the tenancy related to a piece of land that was financially viable by reference to a very complicated test that was set out in the Agricultural Holdings Act. That is going to, going to be entirely replaced uh, by reference to a, a test uh, which essentially is, is predicated upon the management skills and capabilities of the person succeeding. And, and there is a, a relatively lengthy open textured test to allow, the, to, to allow that to be assessed. Um, the reason why that has been done, I think, is because um, the way in which the um, uh, the basic payment scheme is being phased out is being done in a way that encourages essentially older the older generation to retire and receive a lump sum and to allow the newer generation to to come in so in other words retirement appears to be being incentivized by the phasing out of the old incentive scheme and and this new amendment to the succession provisions is is in part at least designed to encourage that yet further so the broad policies we've discussed have ramifications for the more granular day-to-day -day litigation that we agricultural lawyers uh, are, are engaged in. And then in terms then of preparation for some of these new provisions and, and managing that conflict or, or that tension that arises between, on the one hand, the new environmental provisions and, and aims versus food production and, and some of the more sort of traditional uses of the land. How do landowners and, and tenant farmers begin to prepare for all of this? Well, so the succession provisions are from memory coming into force in September 2024. So there is a degree of forward planning on that that can take place. And indeed, I think the solicitors and land agents are, are very astute to the need to plan for generational transfers of these farming businesses. But certainly what will be needed is consideration of the question of whether these environmental goals, which are being pursued in order to secure these payments, rob the holding of its agricultural character if implemented too far. We have some experience of that because, as I say, we, we are familiar with uh, the diversification of farm businesses into you know farm shops and all of those sorts of things that take place in order to make businesses viable but consideration will need to be given to the balance to be struck between on the one hand the ongoing farming activity as properly interpreted and the pursuit of these environmental goals um, and it may well be that we are going to have to uh, consider whether the definition of agriculture needs to be addressed in future legislation to widen it to encompass these sorts of goals. And presumably the new provisions, I guess, may entail a, 
a different sort of um, business relationship to emerge, I guess, possibly between environmental organisations and land managers. Do you see a greater need for that going forward? There, there will be, because, of course, everyone is going to have to learn new skills and understand uh, new forms of land use. Um, but but that slightly also harks back to a comment I made earlier, which is that there is a degree of scepticism. So there there isn't unanimity that, for example, afforestation or carbon capture is in itself a, a an inherent and obvious good. In other words, there seems to be a debate still going on about uh, amongst those who have technical knowledge of these sort of forms of land use as to whether these are the best ways in which to ensure that these environmental goals are pursued. So I, I suspect that although easily stated as being envir- as being good, I suspect there is a debate still to be had about whether or not specific forms of land use, um, in fact, fulfill the requirements of or the public goods in, listed in Section 1 of the Agriculture Act. Uh, and I suppose that that is a watch this space point. All right. Well, Oliver, we'll we'll leave it there. I think that's given us a really good flavour of, of what's pending in that field, pardon the phrase. And um, we'll look forward to speaking to you again, I'm sure, at some point next year. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. That was In on the Act from EG with Sarah Jackman. For more on the Agriculture Act 2020, see the EGI archive at EGI dot co dot uk